0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Hagar humbly returned to Sarah and how many don't return but rebel, and rebellion is the plague that continues to try and take away the hearts of believers. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and on iTunes. Now, here's Tom Cantor as we continue studying the life of Abraham as we look at Hagar's life and her experience out in the desert.
1: Now, the last vital question has to be, because there's the third vital question which isn't asked, but the one that's the vital one is, how do I get back? All right, so this is where I've left, and now this is where I am. How do I get back? What do I need to do? And in verse 9, we see the angel of the Lord gave to Hagar the answer to the vital question, how do I get back? With instructions where it says in verse 9, The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, submit thyself to her hands. So the angel says to Hagar, Return to thy mistress. The angel did not say to Hagar, Return to Abraham. Abraham. The angel told Hagar, submit yourself under Sarah's hands. The angel did not say to Hagar, just put up with the harsh treatment of your mistress. But what did it mean when the angel said to Hagar to submit to Sarah? What was Hagar supposed to do? To understand exactly what the angel was telling Hagar, we need to look at the Hebrew word that was used for the word submit here. The Hebrew word that's used for the word submit is the word anah which it means to bow it means to be humbled. Anna is the word that was actually used in many places but is used for the forceful humiliating rapes of Tamar and Dinah in Genesis and is this humbling. The meaning of this word Anna becomes fleshed out when you see that Anna was in verse 9 here which is translated submit is the same Hebrew word that's used in verse 6 which was translated hardly so Genesis 16:6 six says, And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. We already have talked about uh, Sarah and how she treated Hagar. So Anna is the word that describes how Sarah was treating Hagar. Sarah was dealing Anna with Hagar. She was dealing harshly. In other words, Sarah's harsh treatment was designed to make Hagar bow. It was designed to make Hagar humble. And that's the same Hebrew word Anna that's used twice in Isaiah 53 when it describes what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ when he was being tortured to death for our sins. And in both cases, the, both, uh, both cases, the word Anna it was, uh, was translated afflict or afflicted. And it says in Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and Anna afflicted. And in that verse, we saw the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ is atoning for our sins. He's bearing our griefs. He's carrying our sorrows. He's being beaten. And the word used to describe everything that he's going through and enduring is the word anna, afflicted. And he's being pushed down. He's being bowed down. He's being humbled. And this verse described in Isaiah 53, 4, describes what was happening to him. The other verse in Isaiah 53 is verse 7, where it says, he was oppressed and he was Anna. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. So whereas verse 4 in Isaiah 53 described what was being done to him with the word Anna, verse 7 in Isaiah 53 describes his response of what is being done to him with the word Anna. So In other words, the verse says that he was being oppressed and he was being afflicted, honored. And his response of being honored or pushed down or made low or humbled was that he didn't open his mouth. And twice it was repeated there in Isaiah 53.7 that his response was not to protest, not to threaten, not to warn, not to revile, as it says in 1 Peter 2.23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So in his sufferings for our sins, when the Lord Jesus Christ was being honored or pushed down or humbled, he submitted. He submitted himself, just like what the angel was asking her to do, Anna, to submit yourself to Sarah. So in verse 9, when the angel told Hagar to honor herself under Sarah's hands, to submit herself under Sarah's hands, fleshed out when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are hard words for hagar to hear those are hard words hagar just run away from an intolerable circumstances now for god to tell hagar to return to those circumstances and submit that's a hard words for her to hear the angel was saying to hagar listen this is the way rebellious hagar for you to return to sarah and willingly submit yourself Anna." under Sarah's hands, just like the Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself, Anna, under the hands of his torturers. And that instruction is again a picture of conversion because our hearts are rebellious. In rebellion, we loudly sing Frank Sinatra's song, you know, I did it my way. When we were lost, we rebelliously sung You know, I did it my way, I'm doing it my way, I'm going to do it my way. And that's the song of the lost, and that's not the song of the saved. The song of the saved is, I did it God's way, I am doing it God's way, I will do it God's way. And Hagar, in order for her to be converted, had to return to Sarah, had to submit herself under Sarah's hands, and the way back for Hagar was for Hagar to submit herself under Sarah's hand. That was God's appointed way. Sarah was God's appointed tool for Hagar to remove the rebellion from her heart. And when rebellious Hagar heard God's instructions for what she needed to do, the broken, rebellious Hagar was faced with a choice. And Hagar could recognize that God loved her and wanted to remove the rebellion out of her. She could choose to no longer see her situation horizontally as just between two persons, Hagar and Sarah, And she could choose to just have it that way and just say the relationship went bad. Or she could choose to see a triangle, a triangle of three persons. And in this, this, God is here in the top. And then there is Hagar and Sarah. And she could choose to see God is using Sarah to humble me, to remove my rebellion, to correct me. But That was her choice. And Hagar, when she heard God say, return to Sarah, submit yourself under her hand, she could have said, no way. Sarah's not fair. Sarah has no right to treat me that way. I deserve better treatment than that. I'll retain my rebellion. I'm not going to change. So we see Hagar here. She's at this crossroads of decision, which is a crossroads for any person who's rebellious. Rebellion is at the heart of the lost. And for a person to be converted, he must be willing to obey 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. For a lost person to be converted, it's not a simple case of praying 1, 2, 3, repeat after me. The lost finds himself standing with Hagar at the same crossroads, and the lost has to make the decision to return and to submit to that boss to submit to that parent, to submit to that spouse, to submit to that elder, to submit to that pastor, which are all the mighty hands of God. Because rebellion is also the plague of believers that continues to try and take over the heart of believers. And when God sees the rebellions in the heart of the believer, He brings in these mighty hands. And the believer finds himself also standing at the same crossroads next to Hagar and having to make a decision. And to say to God... I will let you put to death my rebellion. And I'll return and I'll submit to that boss, to that parent, to that spouse, to that elder, to that pastor. Because God, I don't see that boss and that parent, that spouse, that elder, that pastor. All I see is the mighty hand of God. And I want to please God. I want to humble myself. Or a lost person or a believer can go down the other road and say, I won't take it. I have my rights. I'll fight. Watch me. I will walk in and I'll say to my boss's face, I don't have to take this from you. I quit. I'll say to my parent, I don't have to live under these conditions. I'm out of here. I'll say to my spouse, that's it. I've had enough. I divorce you. I'll say to my pastor elder, I'm finished here. I'm going to another church. And all that quitting, leaving, divorcing, church hopping is getting out from under God's mighty hand. And not letting God do his honor work not letting God do his humbling work. And when the rebel says to his or her boss, parent, spouse, elder, or pastor, get away from me, that person is effectively saying to God, get your hands off me. And every person who comes with Hagar and stands at this crossroad of choice sees my rebellion and pride down one road or God's way and submission and humility down the other road. And it's really easy for us To say, yeah, that's right. That goes for my employees. And that goes for my kids. And that goes for my spouse. And that goes for this person in my church. And God's saying, no, that goes for you. (laughs) And the crossroads that Hagar was at should make all of us take a little look at ourselves. And as I look at myself, and if taking a deep breath, you know, just going like, if taking a deep breath symbolizes saying, there's nothing wrong with me, it's only others, then all of us need to take short breaths you know and examine ourselves because as hard as these words are for hagar to hear that she should return to Sarah and submit to Sarah, those words of God to Hagar to return and submit to Sarah were also very encouraging to her. Why? Because Hagar knew she, was, you know, she needed a correction. Hagar knew she was a sinner. Hagar knew she was a rebel. Hagar knew that she could only go so long before her rebellion landed her on the pile of disaster. And now, with no way forward, staying by this well in the desert, hoping that Abraham's going to come, is not coming, she knew that she was being chastened by God. And as Hagar sat there by the well, she thought about her situation. And Hagar had time to reflect by that well about her rebellion. And she knew she needed the correction. She was to know how to do it. And so as Hagar thought about God's instruction for her to return and go submit to Sarah, Hagar saw that God cared about her rebellion problem. And Hagar could see she needed correction. And she thought about God's word to return. And she could see how God wanted to correct her rebellion and hagar knew she needed a correction she thought about god's word to return hagar could see god's love for her and that time by the well was very valuable for hagar she saw she needed the correction she thought about how god's word to return submit and so she saw the truth of proverbs 312 whom the lord loveth he correcteth whom he loveth he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. and there in the quietness Hagar makes her decision by a fountain of water in the wilderness. She makes her decision to see Sarah's treatment as the love of God for her. She makes her decision to return and to follow God. Wonderful. And she sees Sarah as the mighty hand of God. She says, I will let God honor me. I will let God humble me. I will let God correct the rebellion. And she makes her decision. And he says, don't go back to Abraham. You go back to Sarah. And so she does that. She submits. And when she does that, she had the hardest thing she's ever had to do in her life. Because she had to go back, look Sarah in the eyes, and say, Sarah, I was wrong to have viewed myself as Abraham's wife, as your husband's wife. I was wrong to have despised you. I was wrong to have viewed myself anything more than just a submissive maid to you. And then Hagar had to say to her, I'm sorry for what I've done and for causing this trouble in your home. And Hagar had to say to Sarah she would submit herself to Sarah and never be anything more than the maid and she did it she did that she humbled herself and she responded good for Hagar good for Hagar and we should be saying in our heart good for Hagar but you know we should resist saying but never for me (laughs) okay now here's one thing when we think back over this history and God it's for you know Sarah Abraham Hagar and God it's amazing to see how God didn't just throw up his arms in disgust with it all. I mean, God could have said to Sarah, I brought you and Abraham together as one man and one wife to have God honoring family together. How could you have done something so stupid as to give up your honored place of being and and give to Abraham another wife and threaten the destruction of your family? I'm finished with you, Sarah. God could have said to Abraham, I brought you and Sarah together as one husband one wife to have God honoring family together. I promise to you over and over again that I would bless the union of you and Sarah with a child. I did the covenant ceremony. I walked alone to the cut-up animals to prove to you that you were going to have a child with Sarah. How could you have done something so stupid and listened to Sarah, who you knew was telling you to go directly against what I commanded you to do, which was to wait for a child between you and Sarah? You are the head of the house. You are responsible for what happened. After all the time we spent together... After all the deliverances from Pharaoh and the kings, after all the provisions I've done for you, is this the thanks I get from you? I'm finished with you, Abraham. He could have done that. He could have said to Hagar, I brought you into Abraham's house as a maid to Sarah. I brought you out of Egypt, the place of pagan idols, into the knowledge of the true God in Abraham's house. I saved you from a destiny of hell which was your destiny in Egypt, by coming into Abraham's house, coming into the knowledge of God, atonement, I opened the door for you to have a destiny of heaven in Abraham's house. You knew that I had promised to Abraham and Sarah to have a son and heir. You dared to break up that marriage between Abraham and Sarah by despising Sarah. You decided to become a rebel in Abraham's house and seek to take the place of his favored wife. I'm finished with you, Hagar. He could have done that. And God would have been justified if he had said that to Sarah, to Abraham, and Hagar. And God would have been right to have said that to Sarah, Abraham, and Hagar, that he was finished with them. God would have been justified to have cast off Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. But the amazing thing about God is that he didn't do that. And God is so amazing that he didn't cast off Sarah and Abraham and Hagar for what they did. And the fact that he didn't do that makes it all the more amazing that God did not cast off the Jewish people for what they did to him. As it says in Romans 11.1, 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. God did not cast away his people. And the fact that God did not cast away Sarah, Abraham, Hagar, and the Jewish people says a lot about God. It shows us what he says about himself in Exodus 34, 6, when he says, The Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. In Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering. He suffers a long time with us. Great mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgression. Psalm seventy eight thirty eight. He's full of compassion. He forgave their iniquity. He destroyed them not. Many a time turned He away His anger and did not stir up all His wrath psalm 103 13 like as a father pitieth his children so the lord pitieth them that fear him but there was something very important not to be overlooked about sarah abraham hagar and god's forgiveness and it's given to us in psalm 86 5 for thou lord art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee they called on god for help and god said okay what kind of a mess have you gotten yourself into let me fix it Return, Hagar. This is exactly what Micah spoke about, this amazing quality of God. There's a verse in the book of Micah that really gives, it's the verse of his namesake. It explains it because it says in Micah 7.18, he says, who is God like unto thee? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by a transgression of the remnant of his heritage, retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. And when Micah said, who is God, Who is it means, his name means, who is like Michael. Michael means, who is like God. So when we consider that the mess they got themselves into and how God corrected them, we see ourselves and we say with Micah, who is like God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being so merciful and ready to forgive, Lord, not only Hagar and Abraham and Sarah, but us. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that we don't make you suffer so long. Amen.
0: Tom, you mentioned a lot on earthly marriage in our teaching this week, but believers are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Psalms 95.7 says, he's our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now, many people say they believe in God, but what is the difference between believing in God versus what the Psalmist says in that particular verse of having God as our God? And there
1: is a difference. Because as you said, if you walk up to the average person on the street today and you say, do you believe in God? And that person will say, well, of course I believe in God. I'm not a heathen. I'm not an atheist. So people say they believe in God. But this psalm is saying something more because what this psalm is saying is that he is our God and we are the people of his pastor, the sheep of his hand. So really, we can expand it by saying, what's the difference between just saying you believe in God versus saying the Lord is my God I am one of the people of his pasture I am one of the sheep of his hand that's the question and so first of all we see clearly the bible teaches that what takes it beyond believing in god to having the lord as the god as our god is confession confession it says in Matthew 10:32 The Lord Jesus Christ said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Romans says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus. It's all about telling others. So what is the difference? The difference is someone who has the Lord Jesus Christ as his God, someone who is one of the people of the pasture of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who is one of the sheep of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ says so. And he says so without reservation, without embarrassment, without hesitation, openly in a confession. It's not just a profession for him. It's a confession because it's coming right from his heart. And he's confessing, I believe, the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty. To say those words is to confess him. And to do that is then to eventually, then later, to go to heaven and to have the privilege, the honor. What a day that will be when the Lord Jesus Christ stands before God the Father and brings that person along and says, Father, I would like to introduce to you Mary. She was in a very difficult situation. Her husband didn't believe in me her husband persecuted her didn't allow her to go to church it was a tough life for her but she stood firm for me in the home and she confessed that I was Lord and the father smiles and said i'm so glad to know you come and then the next one oh he says father let me introduce you to jack jack worked in a job where they where no one believed in me and they gave him daily a hard time with harassment but jack stood firm for me that's what it means to be confessed before the Father. And so what is important for a person who has the Lord Jesus Christ as his God is he confesses him. Second, John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's three things in there. First of all, he says, My sheep, you can understand who my sheep are in that They hear my voice. In other words, when they read the Bible, the Bible is not just some book of literature, just some collection of of classic writings. But when they read the Bible, they search. They cling to the Bible, the sheep of God. And they say, oh, God, from these words, I will die unless I hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaks to the heart. And they know that they've heard God speak through a verse. A verse will become uh, like under lights. And they'll say, oh, wow, and they're thinking about it. That's hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And then he says, I know them, and they know me as well, and they follow me. In other words, when I speak to them and put my finger on an area of their lives which is displeasing to God, which is sinful, which is downright wrong, That person immediately responds with a a confession of sin. Oh God, please forgive me for this sin. Help me to change this. Help me to do right. Help me to repent, to turn around. That's hearing the voice of God and following him. It's responding to that voice because God, like a parent to a child, loves us whom the Lord loves he, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Whom the Lord, what is chastening? It's reproving. It's correcting. It's it's in some cases disciplining. But that's the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sheep of God, the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ, looks at those difficult times in their lives and says, first of all, what if anything am I doing wrong? And if God does bring to mind what He's doing wrong, He looks up and he says, "Thank you for loving me so much." And caring for me so much that you did not let me get away with it. That's the sheep of God. And I determined to change, to turn around, and to follow you. That's the sheep of God. That's why... This verse says in Psalm 95, "We are his God, we are God; for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. In other words, who is the person who has the Lord Jesus Christ as his God, who has the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands? It's the one who doesn't harden his heart, who responds. What does it mean to not harden the heart? To respond. He responds to what he says. He also is the one who has the title of this program, friendship with God. He's a friend of God. God is a friend of his. When he says these things, I know them. They know me. He says he's in another place. That's friendship. That's friendship. And he says in F- John 15, 14, ye are my friends if, there is that little word, that condition. Ye are my friends if ye do Whatsoever I command you. That's what it means to be a friend of God. Doing what the Lord Jesus Christ commands us.
0: Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. We'd like to encourage you to make a contribution to this teaching program today that reaches around the world through our iTunes podcast and messages that are available for free downloading and listening at friendshipwithgod.org. So again, free messages at iTunes and friendshipwithgod.org so that you can listen or your friends can listen around the world free anytime. You can also get past messages that are all available there for free listening and free download. Friendshipwithgod.org or search for Friendship with God on the iTunes podcast. And every donation that we receive not only helps the podcast and the Friendship with God free downloads to go around the world for free listening, it also has a matching donation towards Israel Restoration Ministries and our Jewish evangelism outreach that has reached over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year, as well as many Gentiles with the gospel. Now go to friendshipwithgod.org to donate online or call us now or after the program at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. 3051 1-800-247-3051 or friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening. Join us tomorrow.